Hello, everybody. My name is Beth Fisher Yoshida, and I am a professor of practice at Columbia University and the program director of the Master of Science in Negotiation and Conflict Resolution. We're talking here uh, in my podcast, New Story, New Power, which is also a takeoff from my book, New Story, New Power, A Woman's Guide to Negotiation. And I'm very fortunate this evening to have Yukiko Kimura with me here, and we're going to have a wonderful conversation. I know it's going to be wonderful. And uh, Yukiko can tell you more about herself, but one of the things that interested me in what Yukiko had done is that she had created and sold her own startup company in Japan, which is pretty amazing for a woman, and so we'll hear more about it. And since I did live in Japan for many years, I have an affinity for this kind of story and for talking with Yukiko. So Yukiko, thank you so much for joining me. I'd like you just to say a little bit more about yourself so the audience can get to know you a little better. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here today, Beth. And also like, hi everyone, my name is Yukiko Kimura. And uh, I was born and raised in Japan and moved to New York in 2021. And I'm currently a student at the Columbia Business School to pursue my MBA. So I talk a little bit about my professional career. So right. I started working at the digital advertising agency right after college. And I worked there for three years as a digital consultant, which supports both clients and media such as Google and Facebook. I liked my work, I liked my team, but also I realized I want to have more initiatives since a lot of decisions were made by clients or media. So I switched my career to the entrepreneurial side and have established two companies since then. And for the last four years before coming to business school, I was working at my second entrepreneurial company named the Genic Club. We provided the content creation service which connects merchandise clients who are looking for better photos and the videos of their products. And also the countryside mothers who have a content creation skills, but don't have the job, job opportunities. So I had 10 employees and 200 photographers and sold the company as a mandate in 2021. I also spent one year helping out the launch of the Japanese branch of the San Francisco tech company named Pix Earth which is the biggest photo and video editing app worldwide with more than 1 billion users. This experience gave me a great understanding of international business, so which motivated me to come to the business school here in New York. Yukiko, that's so great. So there's so many things you just said that I'd love to continue talking about. First of all, not only one, but two companies that you started and sold. You worked not only within the uh, domestic market, but also internationally too. And you really found a wonderful niche in really looking at the different uh, pictures and videos and so on. And something else you said that I thought was really interesting as well is the fact that you worked with women in the rural areas who had wonderful ideas and were looking for opportunities to work but didn't have them. So I'd love you to say a little bit more about how did you discover that? How did you find out that you had this wonderful market to tap into? Yes, yeah, thank you so much for asking me that. So as I told you, I worked, I started my career at the digital advertising agency. And when, when I thinking about the new idea of the business, I try to, like I always try to start from the pain points. So when I worked at the agency, 
I had many opportunities to work with clients for their content creation. And I realized that professional photographers are actually really expensive. And also we needed to prepare some of the decorations, photo studio, so many things. That costed the clients like 20,000 US dollars just for a day. So like I was thinking how to decrease the cost and how to satisfy customers more. And then like I paid attention to the, some of the Instagrammers on the Instagram. So basically they had a lot of photographers, uh, sorry, they had a lot of followers. Some of the Instagrammers had more than 1 million followers, but a lot of people are actually living in the countryside. They had to take care of their children. Their work situation is very limited. And as you may know, like a, Japan, a lot of Japanese families expect women to be a housewife. So they had to stay at home. But uh, they had amazing photo shooting skill and they had amazing mentality. So I talked with several photographers and actually found out they also want to work with the clients to take advantage of their skills. So that's the start of the business to connect both clients and the countryside mothers. That's just fascinating, you know, and so, of course, I'm going to ask about your negotiations, right, because now you have so many different audiences, right, that you're working with and you're asking some of these women to do something they may not have done before and they're excited about it, but maybe a little intimidated by it, you know, it's a whole other world for them from what they're doing. You also talked about traditional gender roles and all of that. So. We can just talk about how did you negotiate with the different parties? I mean, you had clients who may have wanted a certain type of photographer, right? But you were trying to sell them a different type of photographer. Then you had to also negotiate with the women and probably many others. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the strategies or what did you use that you found effective when negotiating with them? Yeah, for sure. So as you mentioned, I had a lot of parties to have a negotiation. The wines clients, the other wines photographer, and also like I had a lot of partners outside of the company. So I tried to use different strategies between different stakeholders. So for example, enterprise company, my clients, they often look for business impact and also financial returns. So they preferred more clear communication on these kind of metrics. Like we're gonna provide this one and we will charge this kind of money and the clients will get something or this kind of like a clear communication. Uh, but on the other hand, a lot of individual photographers needed more emotional support. And also we needed to build a trust in the relationship between you and me, not like you and the company. So that's why I try to show how much I want to work with them, how much I care about them and how much I'm interested in their work more like as a human. That's great. So it sounds like, and I wonder, I just wonder if it's a cultural piece too, but it sounds like it's not a B2B. It's not a company to company. Even though you were representing your company, it was a very personal and individual relationship, right? That you were building with these different women and the clients. Yes. That must have taken so much time. How did you know to use that strategy? That's a good question. Um... It doesn't have to be some brilliant answer. It's something, you must've had some gut instinct about hmm. it, right? 
Right. Um, so I think, I think two, I think two experience helped me realizing the difference between communication and how to build a relationship with other stake, like with uh, how to make a relationship with different stakeholders. Because as I mentioned, I worked at the digital advertising agency. So I understand how client feel, what client is looking for. So I learned the client side from there, but also at the same time, while I was while I was working for the advertising agency, I also worked as a freelancer to help other like a project outside of the company. So I knew like how individual work feel and uh, sometimes like I felt a little bit suspicious to work with some company and the more like I realized that I need a more personal relationship, personal connection with the, uh, with the project the owner of the project. So I think like just my own experience made me realize what stakeholders are looking for. That's great. So you took your personal experience and then turned that into a really good strategy for how you work with others. So um, what were some of the challenges that you faced in being able to bring all of this together to be a successful business? Uh, you mean in terms of the different type of communication? Yeah, different type of communications, you had different stakeholders, you know, you had mm. moving pieces that all had to come together in some way. So what were some challenges that you faced in doing all that? Right, right. Thank you so much for asking. Um, so can I actually like a share? Um, okay, so I don't come up, maybe like I didn't see so much challenges about that story, but I have another challenge. So can I just share that one? <laughs> Please. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. So I think one of the challenging negotiation I had during my entrepreneurial career was to negotiate about merger and acquisition, to negotiate about my M&A. So I talked with four to five companies and decided to sell my company to one of the partner. But I needed to think a lot of aspects such as variation, cultural match, potential synergy, and also making a potential yeah, so, but I needed to think of a lot of aspects such as variation, potential synergy, uh, cultural match, which made the negotiation more complicated and difficult. So after a lot of conversation with potential partners, I found one company that had a strong cultural match and great synergies. But they, are, they were willing to pay less variation than I expected. Uh, so yes, and during the tough negotiation, I always try to find what they are thinking of behind their request. So right after I heard they are expecting less variation, I had a conversation with them and try to find why they are looking for less, less variation. And uh, their lower variation came from the abs. Sorry. <laughs> and then like uh, I realized the lower variation came from my absence after joining the business call because conversation happened right before I joined the Columbia Business Call. So I listed up all the options and considered what matters to me and what the partner is looking for as a trade-off. So do I want to defer my business call or do I want to take the less variation or even like, a, do I 
really want to sell the company. So comparing like these lot of options, and then I decided to sell the company to that particular partner at the lower variation uh, without the lockup. So that was not an easy decision, yeah. but at the same time, just looking at the, sorry. Um, so that was, not a, that was not an easy decision and that was pretty challenging negotiation to me. But at the same time, I realized my priority and also that this kind of exercise to compare all the options helped me to organize my idea and organize my negotiation. Wow, really interesting. So there are a couple of different factors that play in and valuation was not the most important, it sounds like, right? That there were yes. other kinds of synergies and cultural match the fit, which is something I think a lot of uh, M&A don't consider. They don't consider the um, cultural fit. They think, oh, well, we have this service, you have that product, let's come together, but the cultures can be very different. I'm wondering also in that process, I know from my experience in Japan that there's a sense of responsibility that a company owner has uh, to the employees. And so they don't just in general, just sell a business and okay, whatever happens, happens. Cause I remember, especially in the 1980s going to the nineties, mm. there were a lot of people who bought organizations and then cut them up, right. And broke them up. And then the employees lost their position. And so people didn't want to sell for that kind of a thing for different kind of buyouts and things like that. But you were considering, I'm wondering, were you, how were you considering your employees and was that part of your calculation in who to sell to? Yes. So my company was pretty small. As I mentioned, I had only 10 people. So maybe situation is different between the size of the company. But in my situation, as I mentioned, I take personal relationship really important. So some of my co-worker was originally my friend or work partners who I knew them for a while. Uh, so that's why I was thinking what works for my employees more than what works for me. Because these employees trusted me and followed me even right after I started the company. The sales were zero, no clients, but they still trusted me and they uh, they still trusted me and also work for the business. So I tried to, so I think I spend, I spend so much time to think about the culture match and also how I can deliver these employees to the new partner. So as a result, I think it's actually like a really good thing, but I saw the company in May. 2021. So it's already like uh, almost two years past after the Monday, but nobody quit it. Oh. All the employees are still working for the company. And they sometimes feel like I have a personal conversation and they are saying they are happy to work with the new partner. So I think, of course, financial variation, financial return was important to me. But more than that, I think personal connection and uh, thinking about the employee, it was the right decision, I realized after. Yeah, well, that's a really good track record to say that even two, almost two years later, everything's still in place and people are happy. I wanna go back a little bit to um, when you started to bring in these women in the rural areas, right? Who are not, they may have been doing some freelance stuff, maybe, maybe they were 
had a great Instagram profile and all of that, but they were basically housewives, right? And they were basically yes. at home taking care of their families. So this was a whole new kind of venture for them. So were there challenges from their families about them doing this? Did they feel challenged that they may not have been capable of fulfilling the responsibilities? What were those negotiations like? Yeah, thank you so much. So that's a really good question. So I think when I was talking with countryside marriage, especially before working with them, they were really capable just looking out like a, they were really capable looking at them from the outside, but they looked less confidence on their skills because even they have followers, it was not a real, um, I mean, even they had a lot of followers, it was not an in-person communication. So people like their photos, people like their content, but of countryside marriage can realize their skill only on the likes, comments on the social media. So I tried to talk to them just one-on-one and I explained why, and I explained why I'm interested in them and what kind of skill client is actually looking for. And then like, uh, and then, I think, okay, so I think only thing they needed was actually the encouragement, not the, uh, not, not a intellectual information. Okay, I'm gonna repeat, sorry. And I realized actually like only thing they are looking for was encouragement, not the intellectual information or some education because they've already built a skill. Yeah. So I tried to talk to them and uh, kept explaining why we needed their skill. So before you worked with them, when they were putting up their photos, was that more like a hobby or was that a job? Were they getting paid for that or that was just a hobby for them? Yeah. So actually, even they had more than like a million followers, some of the people didn't make any money. More like a hobby and the adults their part of the life. So they like photography. They take a photo put on the Instagram, communicate with other people. It was not for money. Yeah. So I'm think I'm imagining now that, you know, you're doing something as a hobby. It's enjoyable. There isn't that same pressure, right? That you may have as somebody who now is getting paid. So you were asking them to really like step up and maybe they had a stronger sense mm responsibility right to you and to others before it was just fun they didn't have to think about it if one day they posted or they didn't it didn't make a deal but now if they were working you know and then being asked to take photographs it was a different thing so maybe i'm wondering how do you think that affected their sense of needing encouragement and maybe not having the confidence to mm. really fulfill that working role mm, mm, that's a really good question um I saw one of the strong characteristics of especially Japanese women. I think it's not only Japanese women, but I saw it in the, my pertinence. I think they took too much responsibility. So we liked them because they enjoyed the photo. They can take natural photo in their own life. But when we asked some job to them, they felt too much pressure. Yeah. But, uh, um, but when I showed the photo to the clients, clients actually liked 
their photo as a hobby because it looked more natural and it's different from the professional photographer. So I kept explaining, just be relaxed and be yourself. That's something clients are looking for. Yeah, so continue to do what you're doing, except that's also challenging because now there's a different sense of obligation. And you know, there is that very strong sense of responsibility and obligation in Japanese culture. And so I yes. imagine that also now the dynamics of their relationship with you changed, right? Because now it's not just a photo. So it must have been challenging for them, but it sounds like it worked out successfully. Are all of those women still working with the company after you left? Uh, so actually, like I didn't track after I left the company, but I heard from the new partner they are still working for the project. Great. So look at that. You've just really made such a difference in their lives. You know, what did you notice about the women? So yes, they took on more responsibility, but what were some observations you made about how they were? Like you said, they needed encouragement. So what about their confidence or their mindset or anything? What were the changes you noticed? Yes, so particularly these women photographers I worked with, I had one really surprising observation. So after working with their specific photo photographer for a few years, they did a really good job. They, the clients liked their photo work, so I tried to increase their salary. But one thing that surprised me a lot was actually that photographer rejected the salary increase because she told me if she received more money, that's gonna be her pressure and she feels more like too much responsibility. So that's why she didn't wanna break the current situation and try to like try not to change anything as even like she gets more money. So that was really surprising to me, but also at the same time, my mission and my mission and also the company's mission was to encourage these countryside women. They didn't have any, they didn't have any job, but uh, we wanted to help them take advantage of their skills and make money and find the connection with the society. So I talked to the women, like I talked to that particular photographer, don't feel too much responsibility, clients just like your work. So after this kind of conversation, she was convinced and she felt actually really happy clients increased the reward. But that was something I didn't see when I worked for the enterprise company. Yeah, it's so fascinating. You know, as women, right, we have different roles and tasks and responsibilities and a different sense of priorities, right? So it also depends on the story that we tell ourselves about who we are, right? Mm. So for these women, it sounds like they their priorities were about being good mothers, being good housewives, you know, doing all that and fulfilling their own sense of self by having a hobby and doing photography, which was a really nice sense of expression for them. And then it shifted and now it became a career, really. I mean, it was really a career, even if it wasn't as full blown as maybe your career or somebody else's career or mine, but it was still a career and a shift in responsibility. So I imagine that there was so much that was going on in their own heads about who they are now because their story about themselves was not a career, it was a hobby but now it shifted to mm. that. So I think that makes a big difference for people too. And if you want the responsibility, as many of us do, then we look 
for those opportunities. But if you don't want that responsibility or you think you don't, you don't look for those opportunities, but here that opportunity kind of found them. So I'm mm. just curious, right, about that? You notice that? Yes. So I think actually that kind of mindset actually uh, worked for the client performance as well. So as I mentioned, client liked their uh, creative because it was more natural and it was more like in their own life, not looking like a professional photography. Right. So the clients basically used our creatives for the advertisement, website, uh, some like a banner or any type of digital creative. And actually, this kind of natural photo increased their conversion rate a lot. So one of the cosmetic company we worked with, they they used our photographer's creative and their conversion rate increased 2.2 times. Oh, wow. Yes, that's actually really huge improvement because I know I worked for the advertising agency. So even increasing 1% of conversion rate it's really tough and also like make a lot of difference in the profit in the end. So that's why, so client, that's why client was really satisfied with their work. So I kept telling photographers, just be yourself. Don't take too much pressure that actually connecting to client satisfaction. Yeah. So two questions I want to ask related to that. One is an observation and please answer like um, you took on a lot of responsibility in that to negotiate with the photographers, right, with the women in the countryside. And the second part of that is, you know, I feel like and I'm just guessing that the women had some kind of a change in themselves, right, because now they were having success in a way they had not anticipated. So that gives you more self-confidence and it raises your self-esteem. Did they ever talk about, or did you notice how that may have had a ripple effect or affected them in relationship to their families? Did they have any challenges? Because, you know, it's shifting who they are. I wonder if that effect also shifted in their families. Did anybody ever express any challenges they had because of the work they were doing? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So I will start from the first question. So how I negotiated with this kind of women's photographer. So I was doing the company for four years and also I worked with 200 photographers. So of course, some of the time I saw the tough communication. So for example, one of the photographer talked to me, she doesn't wanna do the photo shooting anymore during the project but we've already committed to the clients. She's gonna take their like uh, products. She's gonna take the photo of their products. We've already committed. So it was not like, uh, it was not reasonable to change the photographer in the middle of the work. So when I see, so when I face the tough situation, I have one really good quote in myself all the time, which is, uh, which is people, uh, oh, okay. So I think I took an out. So when I, uh, it's something you said to yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's something I, I remember what 
it's just in Japanese, <laughs> but I was not sure about in English, so I took an ad. So, okay. So when, when I faced tough negotiation, uh, there is a really good quote that I always have in my mind, which is people are not looking for shovel to dig the hole. They are looking for hole itself. So for example, if my partner says she doesn't want to work anymore, sometimes like people take it as it sounds, but actually after having a conversation, what is behind her needs, I can realize something different. So that's why it sets people not looking for shovel to dig the ground, actually looking for the hole. Yeah, wow. So when I faced the situation, she said she doesn't want to work anymore. I had a one-hour conversation and I realized actually she was losing her confidence because photo shooting, it's kind of like lonely. She stays at the home, setting up everything by herself. She has to think of the creativity and sometimes coming up with the good creativity, it's not easy and it's very lonely. Oh, so wow. after real, yeah. So it sounds like it's very, actually it's very lonely process. So that made her saying she doesn't want to work anymore. So that's why, as I repeatedly telling to you, I talked to her in, in person, encouraged her she can do that. Clients like her photo, so she doesn't have to feel so much pressure. So I think realizing what a person feels behind actual request is really important and helped me building a conversation from there. Yeah, that's so great. You know, I'm just curious, um, how do you say that in Japanese, that expression? Oh, that's true. Uh, I think like people just say the exact meaning. Uh, I just want to hear the Japanese. I know, say, I know, I know. If you don't remember uh, it, that's okay. Yes. Uh, like Japanese, I think exact the same meaning, like shabero. Uh, しゃべろ探す、穴を掘るしゃべろを探すんではなくて、なんだろう、穴を掘るしゃべろを探すんではなくて、しゃべる、によって何が作られるかを考えろ。Oh, in the like language of negotiation, we would say that there's some kind of presentation or a demand or a request, right? But then underneath that or behind that, there's some kind of a need that a person has. And then what you were able to discover for this woman is saying that, well, you know, yes, I know I'm getting all of the attention and the client likes my work, but it's kind of lonely, right? And so the creative process is lonely. And so that was influencing why she was saying what she was saying. And did you notice any other kinds of challenges or difficulties that other women photographers had? Uh, that's a good question. Mm. I think in, in terms of the women's photographer, uh, just like uh, they take too much responsibility, they feel too much pressure. I think that was the main. Yeah. Challenging they had. So it sounds like then they were keeping that responsibility contained, right? In a way yes. that it wasn't 
carrying over into their families. So they were trying to keep everything separate. So they were doing everything they were doing. And on top of that, they were doing the photography, which is something that a lot of women who work outside of the home do, right? So we have multiple roles and we take on a lot of responsibility and it's almost like being a superwoman. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to let down anybody because we feel a sense of strong responsibility. So we continue to pressure ourselves sometimes in a very unrealistic way. Yes. Nobody can be super all the time and show up all the time to everybody. Sometimes there needs to be a dependency on other people. Sometimes you have to say no. And I think those kinds of things might've been challenging as well, especially considering the culture. Yes, I really agree on that, especially when I think about the Japanese culture. So I think Japanese women receives really specific expectation from the society, I think. So they, the Japanese women have to work for the family, have to work for the children. But if they also want to go outside for their work, they have to do that by themselves. Of course, a lot of people receive help from their husband, friends, families. But, the role of, but at the same time, a lot of women have to be a super women that you mentioned. And also, I think uh, that kind of culture sometimes came into my negotiation style. Negotiation, uh, that kind of culture sometimes came into my negotiation styles as well. That's something I wanted to ask you some advice. So I think like among the negotiation challenges I saw, something I want to improve from my next negotiation. It's like it was not easy to involve third, like uh, it was not easy to involve other people in my negotiation. So I understand having third company having, oh no, I understand having third party or mediator who is the outside of the negotiation actually works well. They're gonna help me. And sometimes having objective opinion really proceeds negotiation. But I think I'm not sure if it's my skill or I feel some kind of Japanese society pressure, but sometimes it was not easy to ask help outside of people. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that's, my challenge but also i see some of the women having the same like yeah. concerns in their negotiation well i think that uh, we all have stories that we carry from our culture right so you're raised from a little girl to being a woman and you carry all of those stories about what a woman should be how a woman should be and you know it's realistic or not right you have those stories so I think one thing that does work well is uh, if you, even if you don't have a third party in the negotiation to help with it, I think getting negotiation coaching beforehand and even during the process, just to talk through that kind of uh, what you're gonna do, what you're gonna ask for, how you're gonna ask and how you're gonna handle. If they say this, then what, how do you follow up with that? And the other part of that is also setting boundaries, right? And so sometimes, especially for women, if you're taught that you want to be liked and you want to be nice and respectful and maybe respect your elders. So if you're negotiating with somebody who's older than you, you defer to them, all of those things get in the way of you getting what you need from the negotiation. So setting up a boundary and just saying like, this is negotiable and I have this chunk 
of items that are negotiable. But here are things that I'm just I'm just not willing to negotiate. I have to draw a line, you know. Or if I do agree to something, I have to get something in return. So thinking all of that through in the process beforehand and during with a, a coach, with somebody from outside is very effective because now you have a more professional person in the field and they're helping you or guiding you. They don't know the content of what you're negotiating as well as you do. So you do have that expertise, but just having a a person who is an expert in negotiation guide you through that process and help you gain more confidence in what you are asking for, I think is a really good thing, especially when we have all these stories about being nice and being liked, right? Yes, that's true. And uh, especially I like your idea of coaching because I think in Japan, we have training at the company, but it's more like a general conversation and we are not that familiar with coaching. So I think like a coaching session more like a personalized training may help a lot of Japanese professionals, I think. Yeah, yeah. So there's the generic, you know, negotiation training in general where you take a workshop and you learn some of the basic principles. And then the coaching, like you mentioned, is more personal and privatized for your particular negotiation, which can happen individually or as a team. Sometimes there's a team who's negotiating with another team and that preparation is good, too. Yeah, so I like the idea. Yeah, good. (laughs) We'll talk more about that. So I just want you to rehash some of the tips you may have. I'm just going to pull out some of the things I I heard you say and just let me know if this is something. So it's really about building relationships and building trust is very important. I think that you talked about uh, in terms of tips like build relationship, build that trust, because that really is what holds the working relationship together. And uh, I think you also said something about clear communication with people, right, and being able to understand the different communication styles of your stakeholders. What are any other tips that you might have that you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, I think uh, you summarized everything I mentioned, but I think just one thing I want to emphasize is as I mentioned, but think about something behind the request. In the negotiation, a lot of times, a counterpart just, just like share their request, which may be tough, which may be demanding, but sometimes, after we have a conversation, why it's important for them, why it matters for their business, we can have some mutual benefit afterwards. So that's I think focusing on something, uh, focusing on like a so I think focusing on what they are having behind the actual request really help me to organize my idea. That's great. Thank you for adding that because I know that. Sometimes people ask things and you're thinking, why are they asking that? Or why is that so important to them? And then really deeply understanding the other party and what they're getting at. And you also said that that can also turn into a mutual benefit, which sounds great as well. Is there anything else you want to add that I haven't maybe asked about that you want to share? Um, I think you asked me, so I, I think you asked me the two questions, the negotiation with the photographers and also like a what change women had after working with the client, then I think I didn't answer for the second question. But I was, I'm also thinking <laughs> what should be the nice answer. Um, uh, What change they had after working with the clients? 
I mean, it may not have been anything major. Okay, uh, I actually like I have one thing in oh, my mind. Great. So just answering the second question, like what change women had after working with the client. So I sometimes met the photographer in person and asked them how they are doing, how they like the photographing. And something really impressed me. Uh, some, some conversations really impressed me was like, uh, um, oh, sorry, my head <laughs> became blank. I remembered. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so the conversation really impressed me was like uh, they found a connection with the society by doing their job with the clients. So as I mentioned, I think 80% or 90% of photographers we worked lived in the countryside, not in Tokyo, not in Osaka, more like the countryside. And as I mentioned, they had a children, so they had to take care of children at home. So sometimes they lost any connection with the society. They felt lonely and they communicate with only husband, children, family members. So even remote working, working with clients and the feeling they actually took advantage of their skills and they helped somebody else outside of their community actually gave some confidence to the women and also helped them finding more connections with the society. It's really a beautiful finding, you know, because it can be isolating, right? That when you are alone in the home, doing what you're doing and preparing, it's for your family. But at the same time, that's really beautiful that you said that, that they found that connection through their work with the clients and gain more confidence and help them feel connected. That's great. Yes. Thank you so much, Yukiko. I really appreciated you taking the time and sharing your really unique, fabulous experiences here tonight. Hi there. I wanted to reflect a little bit on my conversation with Yukiko Kimura. She's quite subtle, but quite a powerhouse for her to have accomplished what she's done at such a young age. And she's not done yet. She's got a lot more to do. So I really wanted to understand some of the guiding factors or secrets to her success in how she negotiated. Because she negotiated with many different audiences, depending on who they were in relation to the business she was in, right? So one part that I took away that was really strong is her very, very strong focus on relationships. It's all about communication. It's all about trust. And it's very focused on building relationships. I think part of that is who she is. And I think part of it is cultural. And part of it is the nature of the business and the populations of people that she worked with. Because she worked with people who are out in rural areas and had different kinds of needs there. And they weren't necessarily business savvy from some of the other people she dealt with. So she really did know her different audiences. But at the end of the day, it was all about communication and getting some of these women to believe that they could manage doing what they were doing in their full role as being stay-at-home moms and also be able to do this work. And they did the work very effectively, very authentically, and she wanted to maintain that level of authenticity. And that's what really made them very successful. The second point that she made that I think is related a little bit to the first, when I said she needs to know her audience, is that she studied valuation and she was able to not only value a business and rate it that way, but value what each person's contribution could be and then how they were compensated for that. So she got to see 
the value of each party, but she saw it in terms of negotiation language about the needs, right? So she saw that when somebody was able to satisfy a particular need, then their value was raised, right? So they had a higher value of contribution. And so she was able to build on that and then be able to match. And that's why the women she worked with remained so incredibly successful. So she nurtured those relationships. She's built those relationships because it does take time to develop the trust. And she also had a really good eye for matching people to the needs that were coming up from her clients. So thank you. Please send some comments in. I look forward to engaging in further conversations with you and exploring negotiation further. Bye now. And that's our show. New Story, New Power is produced by Digitalistic Media. Beth Fisher Yoshida, our host, is also our executive producer. Digital production by Francine Molina. Our theme music is by Hermona. Special thanks to Ashley Hart. We'll be back with a brand new episode next month.